time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Everybody say more than a song. Yeah, more than, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> more, more than a song. We've been talking about this for five weeks, you guys. Tonight's kind of our epic closing to this whole idea of what it really means to praise and to authentically worship God and everything that Jesus had to say about it. And so we're kind of going to culminate this teaching tonight. We're going to end in a cool way. Those of you just coming in, you guys can find seats. There's seating up here to the right. We don't need to add 50 chairs at the end. There's all sorts of seating up here and over here. So just move quickly, find a chair. DLA, help me get everybody seated in the back so y'all move quickly. So, so tonight, we're going to kind of end the service tonight with giving you an opportunity, again, to worship Jesus for an extended period of time. Um, I want to review a couple things. I just kind of want to teach you some things tonight. A lot of times we're very passionate. I love preaching the Word of God. I'll do that a little bit. But I just want to take a few moments to make sure that as a communicator, as students, as every single one of us are, of the Word of God, my encouragement to you is that you never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop figuring out what it is that God has to say about us and to us through his words. But I just want to review a couple things. Over the last four weeks, we talked about this idea that it's really easy to miss God, even in the midst of powerful praise and worship. You can be right there in God's presence and completely miss because you're so busy talking to the person next to you. Or you're just letting your mind wander and drift off in a hundred different directions. It's so easy to miss what God has for you, even as we gather. And we don't want to be that type of people. Your ideal environment is God's presence. We talked about that for the last few weeks, that things just work out better whenever you are in your ideal environment. So worship is a response, not an initiation. We talked about that. And then we talked about this idea of choosing worship, even whenever it's unpopular, even whenever it doesn't make sense even whenever you're having the worst day of your natural life, that you would literally choose to worship your creator, to worship your God. So we've been studying praise and worship and why we praise and worship the Lord. And tonight, I just want to give you a few keys that I found helpful in learning to praise God. Praising God can be as hard or as easy as we want it to be. What I mean by that is that you can complicate it or you can be smart and say, God, you know what? I need you to show me how it is that you want me to worship you. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? Father, I just thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for all that you have to say to us. I pray that even tonight as we talk about this idea of worship, that the very spirit of worship would just begin to fall in this place, Lord. God, that hearts would come alive in your presence tonight and that we would worship you out of authentic hearts and spirits giving you something that really means something to us, God, something of value, something that's of worth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So one of my favorite Bible heroes, if you like read your Bible or anything, I want you on the count of three, just shout out your favorite Bible hero. One, two, three. Yeah, I, I hear Zacchaeus. Did somebody say Zacchaeus? Okay, maybe not. Um, okay, because he's awesome too. Short little fat guy. Okay, so, so I, heard, I heard my favorite hero 
Uh, one of my favorite heroes is this guy by the name of David. Everybody say David. And I won't make the assumption that you all read your Bibles through and through and grew up in church your whole life. So this, this guy, David, he's well known for, for several different reasons, okay? And one of, one of which is, uh, is this epic battle that he had with this really tall guy named... All right, so with Goliath and... and hey, man. Uh, with this guy named with this guy named Goliath, and he goes into into battle with him, and and he conquers Goliath. Right, he has five smooth stones, and and he knocks Goliath out, and, and all these things begin to happen. And th- and then we're still talking about David today. We know that David was a shepherd. We know that David was a king. We know about his interaction with King Saul and Saul's son Jonathan, who was his homeboy, his BFF for life. Right. But, 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 the, but, but the big thing is, I want to suggest to you, is that we know so much about this incredible man of God, even his flaws, all because of a series of defining moments in David's life. See, it would take an entire series to really talk about, to, to talk about all the different things in David's life. But I just want to remind you of one. Whenever he's facing Goliath, right, and, 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 and he goes out onto the field, what prepared him to win this epic battle where he knocks out this giant on the field, what, what prepares him for it, what caused David in that defining moment to rise up to the occasion what was it that prepared him? Because remember, his brothers were bigger, stronger, and some even better looking than him. But, but, but he had something that they didn't have. He had a key. Revelations talks about the key of David. I've given, Jacob, I've given this generation the key of David. And the key, many times, is used to unlock a door. You could never get through a certain door without that particular key. You can't walk through. You can't just break down the door many times. So many times in the scripture, whenever we're talking about a key, we're talking about something that God gives us in order for us to get from point A to point B. Are you following with me tonight? So David had something that scripture refers to as a key. And I'm suggesting to you that that key that David had was the key of worship in his life. Before anybody ever knew David's name, before they were chanting, Saul has slayed his thousands. David saw it, slayed his, his ten thousands. What? What? And people started talking about David because of all of his victorious, epic, conquering battles. Before anybody knew David, David was on the backside of fields, living a life more than a song of worship unto the Lord. And because David had spent so much time praising and worshiping the one true king, David began to inherently receive qualities that made him one of the greatest kings of Israel that the nation had ever seen. And so, so again, it kind of brings us back to this realization that the more you praise God, the more you become God conscious and absorbed in his greatness and his wisdom and his faithfulness and his love. You see, what you worship, you will become. The person you worship or the thing that you worship are the attributes that you begin to take on. And so that's why some of us, we just, we can't, we can't get to that place of living holy or, or living pure because our eyes are so focused on man and all we're doing is just becoming better human beings whenever our eyes are not affixed on someone supernatural. And so we just kind of keep going through the motions. Are you guys following me? We're so consumed because we worship the opinion of man that we care very little 
about what God has to say to us or even what he has to say about us. We know that we should be concerned, but we really don't give a flip. But whenever we begin to worship him, we take on his qualities, his nature, his characteristics. I want us to look at one passage of scripture tonight, Psalm chapter 145, because I believe that even in this, in this, in this particular chapter, I'm going to read a lengthy part of, of scripture tonight, so just prepare yourselves. I like to summarize sometimes, but then sometimes I just like to just read the word and just let the word just speak for itself, because it's just that powerful, Okay. So here we go. I need you to focus in. I need you to lean in. Even if you're ADD, I just come against that in the name of Jesus. And I say that your mind is alert and you're awake and you're responsive and you can have the ability to focus on what God has to say to you tonight. Come on, somebody. All right. So here we go. Psalm chapter 145. You can look up at the screen or you can turn to it. Psalm 145. And I'm starting at verse one. It says, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I will exalt you, my God. And king. And I'm going to read it in a way such that, I mean, whenever David began to write this, this wasn't some little namby-pamby, little wimpy, no, 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 no. I was reading my quiet time the other day, and I was just reminded of a time in, in First uh, Samuel, or actually Second Samuel, where David has the opportunity to offer up worship to God, and, and it has to do with buying some land and, and doing all these things. And this guy says, okay, David, I'll just give you the land. I'll just give you the threshing floor, and you can just use that as your offering to the Lord. And David said, absolutely not. I will not offer unto God that which does not cost me. Because David had this, in David's mind, it wasn't real worship unless there was a sacrifice involved. I think David had it right, you guys. Worship devoid of passion and sacrifice cannot be worship. At least that's what David would say. I agree with him. Psalm 145, here we go. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He he showers compassion on all his creation. All your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give you examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. The Lord helps the fallen and he lifts those bent beneath their loads. And the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and he rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. In this psalm, in this declaration of praise 
and worship to God. I want to look at just a couple of things and like I said, just give you a few keys to praising and worshiping God in a more effective way. Verse 1, David starts off and he says, David vowed to praise God because of his kingship, because God was truly David's king. No wonder why David became such a great king. You guys, and I'm just asking you, who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Again, it's not a question of will you worship. It is a question of who or what you are worshiping right now. In this moment. Today, who did you worship? Yesterday, who did you worship? Who got your worship on Monday? Who has your heart? Again, just plugging cadres because we talked about this and we just we just left cadres on Saturday night and Sunday night and just talked about you know what our challenge is every day. We're just going to spend time worshiping Jesus. Even if we read less scripture for our quiet time, I wanted to just really drive on this point. Every day, just want to spend a couple minutes just worshiping God. Who got your worship on Friday? Where did your worship go to? It went somewhere. It went to someone. Who gets your worship gets your heart. Who or whatever is receiving your worship owns your heart and so for some of us would be honest enough to say i've been involved in a little bit of human being worshiping because we're so consumed with cute boy a or cute girl b thinks about me that i have been paralyzed in my worship to jesus because really they own my heart but you won't say amen that's okay See, or, or, or maybe it is just the, just the very reality of academic success or athleticism or sports or whatever it is. And it, it does not matter who or whatever gets your worship is the very single person that literally has dominion, has legal authority over your heart, will capture your affections. So you begin to think about person or thing a whole lot more than you think about God. Well, this isn't popular. I'm not trying to win votes tonight. It's not an election. I'm just telling you the word of God because for Jesus Christ, he said the time is coming and even now is where the true worshipers, those who are really going to worship me, it is time for you to stand up and to make a verbal declaration of who it is that you worship and to be open about it and to be public about it and to let the world know my worship will go to no one but him. Period. End of story. Now that sounds cute whenever we stand on the chair or we're here with hundreds of our friends on Wednesday nights. But what is the reality of it on a Monday morning? Or dare I say on a Thursday morning? Who or what is getting your worship, you guys? Whoever gets, whoever gets your worship, whoever gets Salem's worship, whoever, whoever, whoever gets your worship, gets your heart. So where is your heart? This is why the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, said, you know what? Guard your heart above all, with all diligence, above everything else. Guard your heart, for out of your heart flows the issues of life. Amen? See, what you praise will rub off on you. God just gets on you and in you whenever you praise him, you guys.
You know, and he said, oh, well, Pastor Brandon, I'm not really outgoing. And, you know, I don't like to be really verbal about my faith. I mean, this is not my thing. I mean, I'm like type B personality. You're type A. And, and that's just not me. I, I'm not called to evangelize. I'm not called to share. I, that, that's, just, that's, just not, that's just not who I am. But you see, to the degree at which you praise God is the degree at which you reflect his image. This isn't rocket science. I'm not even asking you to grab a, grab, a, grab a step stool and stand in the middle of your hallways and throw Bibles at people. I'm, I'm, just, I, I, I'm just saying, by living a life of personal worship and praise unto God, some kind of way the DNA of Jesus will begin to rub off on you to where you walk around. People will know that God is all over you and all in you before you even open up your mouth. Some of you are looking at me like, impossible. No, 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 it's possible. I've been there. Okay, you've come too late. And so this is the reality. But, 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 but you see, whenever, I, whenever, our lives are, whenever our lives are devoid of personal worship, it makes it very, very difficult. It makes it very awkward. It makes it very hard. Because really, we're trying to preach and declare something that we're really not living. I know, it's a little bit rough tonight, hey? I know, it's, it's fine. We'll get through it and, and you'll feel great. Okay, so, so, so that's what makes it really, really difficult. But again, this is not easy. This is within your grasp. I'm just talking about several minutes each day because that's, what, that's just what the Bible says. I just think it's a great idea. So, so verse 2, verse two, read it for yourself. David says, I will praise you every day, every single day. I will praise you. Not once a week, not just whenever, uh, when I'm with hundreds of people and the music and the lighting and the fog is right. No, no, no. Every day, I will praise you. And this is what I want to encourage you guys to do on this last night of this worship series, that you would make a vow, that you make even a promise to the Lord to say, you know what, God, I don't get everything right. And you're looking at an imperfect person who does not get everything right every day. But the one thing, one of the things that I've resolved in my heart is that he will get worship from Brandon Cormier every single day. If I have to go into the bathroom at work for three minutes and just offer up praise to God because the day was so hectic, or you see what I'm saying, if I have to go step out, whatever you gotta do, but that he would get praise and worship from you every day. David said, I will praise you every single day. I want you guys to be like David. You get the rewards of David if you live like David. Verse 3 says, no one can measure his greatness. That's the revelation. That's the conclusion that David came to. And so I'm just wondering, what kind of relationship that David had, did David have with God? Where he came to his place, where he began to try to quantify or qualify the greatness of who God is. He was spending so much time with God that he says, God, I've tried to equate. I've tried to measure with, with all of my in, intellectual being and capacity. I've tried to, to, tried to wrap my brain around how great you are. But some kind of way, I, I, I just come to this conclusion that it's immeasurable, that you're just that great, that you are just that great. Great 
means relatively large in size or number or extent. It's larger than others of its kind, of major significance or importance, a, a person who has achieved distinction and honor in some field. And that's what David said. And so I just want you to think about the coolest, the greatest person that you know, the greatest athlete, the greatest leader, the greatest preacher, the greatest actor, whatever it is, whatever, whatever floats your fancy, whatever the greatest person. And I want you to multiply that by one billion and you'd literally be scratching the surface of the greatness of God. Because the cool thing about God, he is not only great, but he is also good. Amen. And there is a difference. He's not only great in magnitude, full of power, full of, full of, full of glory, but he is also good in his intentions yes. towards yes. us. Amen. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we have the privilege of praising. The greatness of God far surpasses the greatness of any man who's ever walked the face of the planet. See, verse 4, David is also adamant about instructing us to praise God, not just to make ourselves feel better, not just to get into God's presence, but David says, you know what? Let one generation tell the next generation of the greatness of God. Many of you have heard me say this before. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 is one of the saddest verses that I've ever found in Scripture. It's a place wherever Joshua was leading, leading the people of Israel, and Joshua had passed, and the Scripture goes on to say the writer of Joshua, of Judges um, 2, 2 says, and, and there arose, one generation died, and there arose another generation who did not know the ways of God. They didn't know anything about God. And so I've just kind of resolved in my heart, you guys, as long as there is breath in this body, my generation and the next generation coming behind me must know the greatness of my God. That doesn't have to be your resolve. That doesn't have to be your decision. I've just decided in myself, as long as there is life in Brandon Cormier, and there are people around to hear Brandon speak, this generation and the generation that's coming behind me, you guys have got to know the greatness and the goodness and the kindness of Brandon Cormier's God, the God that I have served and known for years now. You've just... I'm a result in my heart. If I have anything to do, you're at least going to know about him. Yeah. And whether or not you choose to follow him is your business, but you will be given opportunity because I'm going to make a big deal of how great he is and how good he is to this boy. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, just, that's what, just what I see in David, you guys. Every single one of you. Look at me right where you're sitting. Every single one of you, especially those who name the name of Christ, if you say you're a Christ follower, every single one of you have a responsibility to make sure your generation and the generation after you knows the greatness of God. That's a weighty responsibility. But I know that Jesus never entrusts anything to us that he will not help us to carry out. Oh, it's a big deal that your generation, every single person that you come in contact with, that they would know the greatness and the kindness and the goodness of the God that you claim you serve. That's why it's powerful, real ministry. I think the majority of your ministry should take place not in these kind of four walls, but in the hallways of your schools, in, at the gas station, at the movies. I mean, really, that we would live out this life where we're just continuously talking about the goodness of God. That was the strength in the Old Testament. The Hebrew people, 
I mean, multiple times in Scripture where it says, you know what, bind God's commandments and his word around you, know, and then talk about them. Talk about it whenever you're sitting down at the table. Talk about it whenever you're at, a, at, a, at an athletic event. Talk about it whenever you're at a restaurant, that you would talk about the goodness and the greatness of your God. Some of you, this is a foreign concept to you, and I just love it because you just look at me like dear God in the headlight, like you mean I'm actually supposed to live this, live this stuff outside of Wednesday night? Yes! <laughs> live this thing outside of Wednesday night. That's how we're going to win a city to the Lord. That's how we're going to effect change in a generation. It won't be just what we do here or even on the stage. That's minimal. The real big deals is whenever you're out in the city and you're just talking about the greatness of God. And once again, this is not rocket science. It's just sharing somebody. Man, listen to what my God did for me. Yeah. And you make it personal because he's got to go from being our God and, and the God of this church and the God of this city and the God of our, to my God. He is my God. Amen? Amen? So we talk about him. We talk about his greatness for the sake of our generation knowing how truly great he is. Verses 8. And, and so many times Paul told Timothy, Timothy, Timothy was Paul's kind of spiritual son in the faith. And many times he kind of pulled Timothy real close and said, Timothy, I, I'm charging you now. I'm giving you responsibility, Timothy. Because I'm not going to be around always, Timothy. So you're going to run this thing. And I think if Jesus were here tonight, he'd be pulling every single one of you up close and said, hey, I, I, I need you. Not because I'm a self, uh, a narcissist or egotistical guy who um, can't survive without your worship. But, but you've got to understand that I've given you worship as a key. Worship is a gift that I have given to you that you may have access into my presence so that you can do great things for my glory, for my fame and not yours. Does this make sense to you tonight? There's a key of worship that God wants to give every single one of you. But we have to have open hands and open hearts saying, Jesus, you're the only one that's going to get my worship. And you're going to get it from me every day. You're going to get it from me every day. Verses 8 through 16, David, David talks about praise for God's everlasting, praising him because he's an everlasting king. Verse 8 talks about that he is merciful and he's compassionate. He's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfailing love. Who wouldn't want to worship a God like that? I think sometimes our worldview can be so skewed. We think that God's out to get us. God's not mad at you. God's madly in love with you. God's not waiting to throw thunderbolts at He really, really is good. It's not a gimmick. It's not hype. It's not something that I just kind of made up to make you feel good. No, no, no. He, he really is good. He really is good. And so I think for some of us who are going through like literally hell at home or, or at school and, and you have hard times in your heart, can I just be real tonight, honestly? Okay? Is that okay? Is there y'all doing Okay. And so I think that some of us who are going through hell at home or, or at school or all these different problems have a hard time reconciling, well, if God is good, but, and then you fill in the blank. And then sometimes that serves as a, as a hindrance because then you really want to worship, but it's like, I don't, I, mm, it's so hard to believe that he's really good because you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what's going on in my home. You don't know what my parents are like or the parents that I did have. Or, you, you don't know. You don't know my story. But at some point, you've got to make a resolve in your heart that come hell or high water, trial, tribulation, persecution, famine, sword, that God is good. And he will get my worship no matter what. I didn't say no questions asked. 
because we can always pose our questions to the Lord as long as we do it in an honoring way. But I'm just saying, even at the end of the day, even if he doesn't answer all my 1,000 billion questions about why, I have resolved in my heart, I will worship you. End of story, period, bottom line, I'm a worshiper of God, and I'm going to do it every day. Does that make sense to you guys? He really, really is good. He's good. Oral Roberts, founder of one of the greatest universities here in the United States of America, <laughs> says this, coined the phrase years and years and years ago, God really is a good God, and he wants to bless you. He loves you. He is a father to his children. He coined this phrase, and it was revolutionary because people just thought that God was so mean and so hateful and so, so arrogant and, and so narcissistic and just so blah, blah, blah. And, and God said, no, no, no. Oh, Robert's just got this. You know what? God, he really is a good God. He really, really is a good God. And he wants to use you for his glory. See, God's kingdom is filled with good things because his very nature is goodness. I don't know why anyone would not want to worship him, you guys. 17 through 21 and summarizing here. David talks about praising God for his acts of deliverance. Again, David talks about God's kindness. And again, he really is good. And he's completely right in all that he does. So, so anytime you're in right standing with God and you open up your mouth to talk to him, he promises to show up. And that's the big thing. Because what do we do? How do we worship God whenever we don't feel God? That's exactly whenever you need to worship him. Because you've come to a place of realizing that your worship is not based on how you feel. As I don't have a lot of gimmicks or balloons or cool things to tell you tonight, all I'm saying, really, the bottom line at the end of this series, the real spirit behind this, is that you would resolve in your heart all your days and, and, and to, to be honest, you know, doing youth ministry for about seven and a half years now, full-time, working with young adults, 20-something, been in the game for a little bit, and seeing, seeing teenagers, seeing students go through some of the hardest places of their lives and some of the m most incredible mountaintops, and, w and, and, and watching the ones that really survived the trauma, the ones that really survived the moms and dads divorcing or, you know, or hitting a financial crisis or, 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 or you know, failing a, a subject at school or not getting into a college or getting dumped by boyfriends or girls. You fill in the blank, going through depression, the whole thing. The ones who have made it through and come out on the other side on top of a mountain are the ones who, while they were in the valley, learned what real worship is. I'm convinced that's, what, that's where you really learn worship. So those of you who are going through challenging circumstances, and I know that just from personally talking to some of you, you would say, hello, that's me right here. I want to tell you that you're the perfect candidate. If you'll sit down and be a student of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you how to worship in the midst of negative health diagnosis, in the middle, in the middle of family crisis, sickness, whatever. It's your opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to be a student of worship. And Holy Spirit, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to allow you to teach me to worship. I don't feel anything. I don't even want to worship right now. But, but, but even in the valley, I will worship you. Because I've realized that the worshiper is the one who wins. It's the worshiper 
who always comes out on top. There's an, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, an incident that happens in Samuel wherever David, he married this crazy girl named uh, Michael. She was the daughter of Saul, okay? And she was given as a reward to David, right? And so, and so what had happened was the Ark of the Covenant, which literally was kind of God's like God box on the earth. I mean, the Ark of the Covenant was the whole, I mean, it was so holy. I mean, literally, if you touched it and you weren't invited to, you weren't in the priesthood, you weren't commanded to, you would literally die or break out with boils or sores because God was making a statement that I am holy. I'm not like everyone else. Therefore, when you come into my presence, you don't just waltz your way in like everyone else. No, no, no. I am holy. I am a God. I am the God of the universe. And so there's an incident where the ark had been stolen from Israel. And then it, it, it turns out that the ark had been returned. So it had been years uh, or a certain period of time where the ark had been stolen. And then so David is looking and he sees the ark of the covenant being returned to Israel. And the ark of the covenant was a big deal. Again, it was the presence of God. It was literally it signified the blessing and the abiding presence of God. And David gets so impassioned, okay, that he literally begins to dance so much so that your Bible is so good, you should read it sometime, it says literally he danced out of his clothes, out of his garment, in front of the entire nation of Israel. His wife is sitting up on the second floor of their house saying, mm-mm, mm-mm, <laughs> Can you see her? Just look, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And so he just continues dancing. I mean, dancing violent. Clothes came off everything. And then she, she just starts yelling at him. I mean, this girl's psycho. And so she just says, you know what? You, you, you fool. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, are, you're the king. What are you doing? Like, what? We, 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 we don't, that's not what royalty does. And then he looks her in her face and says, you know what? I will become even more undignified than this. And I believe that there was a sick, there was significance in what David did because David would have been worn his kingly garments. So literally what David was saying, in the presence of the one true king, there is no room for two kings. I, I, he's going high, I'm going low. There's only room for one king in this moment and it is not me. So literally he throws off his kingly garments and says, God, you are the one and true king of my heart. You're the king of Israel and I will worship you. You get that? So I'm talking about worship, you guys. That whenever you begin to worship so much, that it literally becomes an addiction for you. Where you because here's the real deal. Let me just be honest. Every single one of us are going to be addicted to something. It's just the nature of who we are. It's the nature of humanity. Some of us are addicted to technology or Facebook or social networking. Some of us are addicted to the person that's sitting to your right or to your left. Come on, be honest. Uh, some of us are addicted to the praise or the applause of men. Uh, or some of us are addicted to, you know, just the praise of doing really well athletically or academically. And then there are some of us who are just, we're just addicted to God's presence. See, every single one of us are addicted to someone or something. I'm just posing to you, it'd probably be a great idea that you be addicted to the presence of God, that you just be a worship junkie, 
I mean, that you don't even wait for people to start. You just come in ready to worship. And it's just, I mean, it's like a drug. I mean, it's literally like I'm addicted to God's presence and I'm a worshiper. And so even if I don't feel it, I mean, it's just like second nature. These hands are going up. These feet will begin to move because inside of me, there is a worshiper that has got to come out. Oh, if about five of you would get this, we could change the city. I believe it. So in closing, you guys, praise and worship are who we are. Praise and worship are what we do. It's also who we are. See, see, praise is seeking God. And worship, worship is being found by God. So whenever we begin to praise him, we begin to tell God all the things that we're thankful for. Lord, we, we just love praise. It says going up the mountain. Worship is God coming down and meeting us. Praise is us seeking God. Worship is being found by God. Praise is, praise is initiated by us, but worship occurs whenever God begins to respond to us. Do you guys get this? See, anybody can really praise God. Anybody can say thank you, God, for, but a worshiper... It takes the presence of God. It takes God knowing you and responding to you and saying, this is my daughter. You have access into my presence. You have the keys to my heart. Come on in and let's worship. Let worship, worship. You get my presence. Praise is something we do. Worship is something that God releases. You guys get this? Praise can always be initiated. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I thank you. As you go through scripture, you'll see praise God on the harp, on the cymbal. Praise him with, the, with, shouts, of, 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 with shouts of victory and, and praise him with victorious dance and all these different things. But whenever it comes to worship, it's the response of God. So he initiates everything. We respond in praise and then he responds again and says, okay, now I'll release the spirit of worship where you come into my very real presence is real it's as real as the person sitting next to you so whenever you open up your mouth to begin to worship him you've got to know that he hears you that he loves it you guys getting this tonight praise is our building a house for god worship is god moving in praise is our building a house for god worship occurs when god moves in we say, here you go, Lord. See, when we genuinely desire God's presence, his presence is what he gives. Nothing more, nothing less. When you're genuinely after the presence of God. And finally, whenever God shows up, everyone else has to shut up. We come before him with hearts that say, you know what, God? You're the only thing that matters. And for some of us, it's a progressive work because if we are quite honest, we have lots of different things that matter. So I'm not telling you to be all face liars in the presence of God. I'm just saying <laughs> you, 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 you move from a place. There's an old, really, really old song. It just says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely again in the light of his glory and grace. The more that you look at him, 
the more you begin to be lost in his gaze. And so you can kind of stay in the shallow end all you want, and that's cool. But I just feel like there's an invitation from the Lord for us to go deeper, even tonight. And again, God loves you right where you are. But I'm just challenging you as a youth pastor, don't stay shallow all your life. There's nothing cute or cool about it. You know what I'm saying? It's cute when my nine-and-a-half-month-old baby is crawling around in diapers. It's weird if I'm 20 and I'm still wearing diapers. You guys get what I'm saying. And so, so as we grow and as we mature in Christ and as we draw closer to him, honestly, other things begin to fade. And so, so for some of us who've had just such a hard time just being, gosh, just drawn to all these other things, I'm telling you the remedy is to become fascinated with Jesus again to stand in complete awe and wonder of who God is again in some kind of way automatically. The more you worship him, the bigger he begins to grow in your heart and the more importance he'll begin to take in your life. But I'm just saying, you gotta start somewhere. Does that make sense? You guys feel my heart tonight? This is not like, again, this is not for the super uber, super spiritual deep. This is for like, the 14-year-old who maybe this is your first night coming and you're barely even following Jesus, you can do this tonight. Nobody's left behind. This isn't a club. Nobody's on the outside. You're all on the inside. Or at least you can be brought to the inside VIP section if you just say, you know what, Jesus? Nobody else is going to get my worship except for you. And what your worship looks like is going to be different than the person next to you. And we're not trying to clone people where we all just worship the same kind of way. I mean, obviously, but, but, but there's, there's an authenticity behind it that God is looking for yeah. in hearts. So there's corporate things that we do together. And this is great. Just learning the reason why we lift our hands. You know what? Well, number one, because Paul said to in Timothy, command him in everywhere to lift up holy hands to the Lord but also in the nation of Israel. Uh, every time they would come together and they'd lift up their hands because it's just a universal sign of surrender to our king. And some of you, that's about as radical as you're going to get. You know what I'm saying? That's a big deal for you. And praise God, you know what I'm saying? you got to grow in grace. And so if you never lifted your hands before, I want to encourage you tonight, you have an opportunity tonight, to lift up your hands before the Lord. Some of you have never knelt down, got on your knees before Jesus and said, I surrender everything to you. I'm ready to worship you, Jesus. I'm ready to give you everything. So worship team, prayers to come. I want you guys to look at this clip. It just kind of expresses the truth. It just simply says, God, he's not far away. God, he's here. He's here. He is here. Right here in this room, in your heart, he is near, nearer than breath, heartbeat, nearer than you are to you, closer than second chance or next opportunity, closer than tonight or yesterday. He is real, realer than touch, see, hear, smell, or taste, realer than reality. He is our reality. He is present, like space, wind, time, silence, night. He is waiting, like creation, like words on the tip of tongue, like songs that 
that have yet to be sung. He is beauty, oranges, blues, every hue, every shade, sunset and sunrise, whisper his name. He is holy, different, cannot be touched, explained, like sweet seconds of prayer, like grandmother on knees, wood floor bare. He is old hymns. He is the extending of limbs, stretched across trees, stripes to heal disease. He is sun, distinctly three, distinctly one, the only one, the only wise, the only resurrector of lives. He is king. No earthly throne can house. No amount of elegant words can espouse. He is moment and voice, power of choice in word and deed, in fruit and seed, nailed hands, nailed feet, innocent wounds that bleed. He is belief and trust. He is enough. He is all. He is call and purpose. Everything that we can sacrifice, he's worth it and more, much more. Our good deeds are mere pennies. We'll never even the score. He is behold and wow. He is who, what, when, why, how. He puts on the show. He's the one we come to see. He is soul's cry and sinner's plea. He is the epitome. He is the one no one can light a candle to or come within a million foot pole of. He is above. He is a father's love. He is maker of ways, ancient of days. Has no fear. Have no fear. God is here. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. 